Uh, if you have your Bible, then um, you can follow along. I'll be referring to that as we go. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, help us to be humble to hear your word and to be shaped by it as we look at it today. Amen. Uh, here's a couple of signs for you. Um, signs, maybe? No? There's one. Uh, this sign is um, I found on the entrance to a small remote Aboriginal community that uh, our school goes and uh, partners with. Uh, this community is almost out on the Canning Stock Route, um, about 370 k's east of Newman. And it was a fascinating little uh, sign uh, warning those kids, don't bring your slingshots to school, otherwise you've got to hand them in. Here's another one. Uh, this one's at Rotnest, uh, one of my favourite ones. Uh, because I, I have seen people go over the handlebars like that, and I've done it myself, actually, uh, when I was a lot younger, thankfully. Uh, but this warning sign, don't get your front wheel caught in those train tracks. It's down by the station uh, on the way to Kingston Barracks, if you know down there. Signposts draw your attention to things, and they are usually warning signs, things like this, um, and they're telling you something's coming up. Don't fall for this thing. And this morning, God leaves a sign for King Belshazzar. The writing is on the wall for him. How do we get here? Uh, you're working your way through Daniel, um, and so Daniel 5 is preceded by Daniel 4. And so if you've cast your minds back a week, then you'll remember what happens in order to get to this point. Chapter 4 is all about King Nebuchadnezzar. He is a king who has a dream, and that dream is interpreted uh, by Daniel, Belteshazzar, a king who has thought way too much of himself, a king who is humbled by God until he recognises his place before God. King Nebuchadnezzar, who loses his mind, and when he recognises God as God, he is restored. And so in uh, chapter 4, verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Well, now we come to chapter 5, and we meet King Belshazzar, King Nebuchadnezzar's son. It's probably actually his third son. It's about 22 years after King Nebuchadnezzar has died. And we meet Belshazzar giving a large banquet, a thousand people of his closest supporters. He must have quite a few supporters if they're just his closest supporters. Uh, I've been in a room with a thousand for a meal and it is hectic um, and it's probably way more well-behaved than this one. It seems to be a big event, one where the king gets to wine and dine his supporters, his wives and his concubines. Because it is perhaps the end for King Belshazzar. It's the last hurrah. What's happened 
just before the Persian Empire under Cyrus is on his doorstep. The Babylon has recently lost a major battle uh, to the Persians just 50 kilometres away. And Babylon now is defenceless. It's his last big shindig, a chance to show everyone that Belshazzar is still in control. So he wants to control what's going on. He wants to control the narrative. I am still the king, even though we've lost this battle up the road. But the thing that sends this banquet over the edge is when Belshazzar orders the gold goblets from Jerusalem to be brought out so they may drink from them all. Now that's something even Nebuchadnezzar never did. It's like bringing out the war chest, showing off all the loot, opening up the the top and saying, look at all of our past glories, all the victories that we've won. And here they are. Even though it's impending doom with Cyrus up the road, this is really who we are. We have this loot, these victories. We are still in control. Check out our credentials, all these past conquests. But in this case, he's taking what is sacred and defiling it. Not only do they drink from these sacred vessels, verse 4 in chapter 5, sees that they launch into praising the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. And all of those, it is an offence to God, the one true God. God is not impressed with Belshazzar's victories and he's unhappy with his gloating. See, Belshazzar is full of pride, full of disdain for Yahweh God and the items used in his temple. Here it is a last thrashing around, denying their impending loss to the Persians. And so now God acts. And he acts in a really unmistakable way. You can't miss it. Verse 5 Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched as the hand wrote it. Imagine this big stretch of open wall like this and this hand appearing, carving words out onto the plaster. It would have been quite remarkable. Now, understandably, I would be a little unsettled if that happened here and now. But you'd also be a little bit curious, wouldn't you? You'd be a little bit curious as to what does it actually say? You'd be unsettled the fact that it happened, but still want to know what the message says. And Belshazzar reacts in much the same way. Verse 6, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. He's frightened, this thing has happened, something where he is striving to be in control, is out of his control, but his curiosity takes over. What does this message say? And so he summons his enchanters, his astrologers, his diviners. He offers them rewards, purple clothes, royalty, gold chains, and the chance to be third highest in the kingdom. 
And so they come in. It's their big chance for acknowledgement. But none of them can read it. They're struck dumb when the message speaks. Best not to make it up, of course. If it doesn't come true with what they say, they certainly won't go well for them. So it's best to stay silent. But instead of feeling comforted, Belshazzar is even more terrified. He turns a whiter shade of pale. What is this message? Well, the queen steps in. Some commentators say this is the queen mother, which makes a little more sense if you are thinking about her knowing who Daniel is. This queen steps in and directs Belshazzar to Daniel. Verse 10. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, come into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. And so Belshazzar first flatters Daniel and then offers him rewards. But Daniel won't have it. Back in chapter 4, Daniel was quite perplexed when he was asked to do the same thing for Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, when he was asked to interpret the dream. And he wasn't confident back in those days. In verse 19 in chapter 4, Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. And Nebuchadnezzar had to uh, say, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. But this time, Daniel is way more direct. He answers the king in verse 17, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, they're the words uh, of someone who was once worried, but now, this time, not so much. I don't know if you've ever been in that position where you know you'll have to say something hard or unpopular, where you might once have held back and not said it, just been that little bit nervous about speaking up, but now you kind of don't mind. You might be just that little bit older, that little bit more confident and happy to roll with the consequences. It might be that you are thinking about uh, leaving or retiring. And so what are they going to do? Sack you? You're going anyway. You just have that confidence. Daniel starts by giving a recap from chapter 4. He describes the kingship of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's father. Nebuchadnezzar had complete autonomy. He had kingly rule, not like King Charles, where real power is in parliament, but we're talking absolute monarchy, the power of life and death in the hands of one person. When that went to his head, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, 
God acted and humbled Nebuchadnezzar. He lived as an animal and ate grass. Well, Daniel sets that scene. He reminds Belshazzar of Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar. Your father became arrogant. The Lord humbled him and he came to acknowledge that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You knew and you didn't learn. Now, who says that to a king? Really, to challenge that king and say that. The king who has power of life and death in his hands. And Daniel doesn't leave it just there either. He actually sort of sticks the knife in and twists. He lists the king's indiscretions. He says, you all drank from the goblets of the Lord's temple. Not only that, you praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron and wood and stone. You did not honour God. The God who holds in his hand your life and your ways and you choose to dishonour him. The very description given to Nebuchadnezzar about a king who holds people's life in his hands and he points him to the real king who holds the king's life in his hands. There is one greater than you, Belshazzar, no matter what you think. Now, respect for people in their roles can be tricky. Uh, in the school environment that I work in, uh, the principal is the top dog. Everything comes from the principal, the one with real power and authority in a school. Power over employment and conditions. Every decision comes down to the principal. Now, I used to take students from our school uh, to Tanzania. And uh, one year I took my school principal. And in Tanzania, he wasn't accepted as top dog. The problem was in Tanzania, he was just a teacher. He might have been the head teacher, but he's still just a teacher, just Mwalimu. Me, I'm Umchingaji. I'm a reverend. And that is way more important in their culture. <laughs> People would look to me and not the principal. The men would want to hold my hand and be seen with me and not my principal. Now, it was actually hard for this guy to come to grips with not being recognised, not being respected, not being revered. And it took some adjustment for him. He got there. And me, I kind of liked it. <laughs> but that also illustrates the human ego too, doesn't it? That I liked it. Just think about how jarring that must have been for Belshazzar to hear. Not a mere school principal, but a king with no one to answer to. No one apart from God. So Daniel interprets the writing. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, 
Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, mene uh, is the word, Hebrew word, that means numbered. Tekel means weighed and parson means divided. What a message, what a slap in the face for Belshazzar. What would bring fear and perhaps anger if it was properly understood by Belshazzar instead brings reward for Daniel. Daniel was rewarded with the very things he had rejected, purple clothes, a gold chain, and pronounced the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But this was not to last long because that very night Belshazzar was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. Mene, Belshazzar's days were numbered. Tekel, he was found wanting by God. Parson, and his kingdom was handed over to Darius. God's judgment fell on Belshazzar. What was impressive, what was the one who wielded power, what was the one who seemed all-powerful, was the target of God's judgment. So what do we learn? Now, even though this is narrative and not direct instruction to us, it is written for us. Just as Belshazzar was struggling with significance, so too do we struggle with where to go for significance. Belshazzar was a king and in charge of a kingdom. But today our culture is a different culture. We set ourselves up as our own kings over our own little kingdoms. We want to determine everything. We want to choose our own reality, our own identity, our own futures. Belshazzar, through his party, to bump up his own significance. In the face of impending defeat at the hands of the Persians, he throws a party to bolster who he is in the eyes of everyone else. Out comes the war chest, the successes of the past, the symbols of victory. He encourages all to drink from them, to use what was sacred as common. But God will not have it. The parallels with how we act are there. The way we look to others to bolster our egos. The way we take credit for our own achievements in life, rather than understanding that any achievement is actually God's grace towards us. If you have achieved academic success, the only reason is because of God's grace. If you've achieved sporting success, it is because God is graceful. If you have achieved business success, it is by God's grace. If you have achieved financial success, it's because of God's grace. If you have achieved any success by any measure, it is by God's grace. To find your significance in anything other than God, you are falling into the trap of Belshazzar, which is particularly galling, really, since he had the chance to learn from his father's situation but failed to do so. 
and so the writing was on the wall. He would be humbled that very night. So, will you, will I, learn from God's word? Be shaped by it, be taught, rebuked, corrected and trained by it. Will we go to God's word, put ourselves under it week by week by week as we hear it taught and read? Will we trust it even when all around us distrusts God's word? Will we trust that what we find out about God from his word truly is what God is like? Or will we kind of question, we don't think that God is truly like that? Will we trust that what God says in his word about us is true? Or do we think we know better than God's word? Fundamentally, Belshazzar's issue was pride. His view of where he gains his own significance was from his achievements, and he lacked humility. Pride is such a driver. It is the driver behind feeling inferior, less than someone else. I see it in teenagers every day who are so worried about how they look. But actually, that's not just the domain of teenagers, is it? Pride is behind all bitterness. I deserved better. Pride is behind unresolved guilt, all the things you can't or won't own up to because you don't want to be thought badly of. Pride is behind nationalism and war. We see that with Putin at the moment. Pride is thinking too much of yourself and your achievements or thinking that they should be recognised more than they are. Ultimately, pride means that you have too high a view of yourself and too low a view of God. And when you do that, the gap isn't much and you think you can actually cross it yourself. But the reality is that every part of us is sinful and we are way more sinful than we think or choose to acknowledge and God is way more holy than what we think or choose to acknowledge. And that gap, that is why we need a saviour, someone to forgive us our sin, someone to show us grace. Our culture doesn't recognise sin. It has too much pride. I hear all the time from teachers at school, these kids are basically good. They just need a chance to show it. A few years ago, I was explaining in chapel uh, to all my students that they are sinners. And one of the PE staff came to me at recess and told me, do you know what, Scott? It disturbs me that you think that everyone here is intrinsically sinful. I said to her, I was surprised that as a mother and as a teacher, she could think anything uh, other than that. A week later, she came to me again. She said she was still disturbed that I thought that everyone was a sinner, but what disturbed her more was that she was starting to think I was right. <laughs> if we are not sinners, we don't need a saviour. 
Pride is the sin that befalls Belshazzar. And we are experts in pride, aren't we? I am. No one does pride like me. God humbled Belshazzar. Will we humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus and accept that we need forgiveness? Or will we be humbled like Belshazzar and face God's judgment in time? I pray that we will look to God's grace shown in Jesus, humbly accept his mercy, knowing that it is always on offer. Amen.